0: Welcome to the My Faith Votes podcast. I'm Megan West. On today's episode, we're talking with Pastor Vance Pittman. He's the senior pastor at Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and author of the new book, Unburdened, Stop Living for Jesus So Jesus Can Live Through You. In this fascinating discussion, we talk about the state of the church in Las Vegas, how he's navigating the current election cycle, and living kingdom-minded as a Christian in today's culture. I am privileged to bring you this conversation because not only is he a friend of My Faith Votes, some of you may remember him from speaking at an event we held in 2016 before the elections and he spoke there. I was privileged enough to attend Hope Church in Las Vegas for a season when I lived in Las Vegas. So um, I would love to introduce you tonight to Pastor Vance Pittman of Hope Church in Las Vegas. Hey, Pastor Vance. Great hey, to see
1: Megan. You. Hey, it is great to see you as well. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to connect with your audience and those that follow uh, what's going on there. Uh, it's really an honor to be here, and it's great to see you again. I wish you was I back in Las Vegas, but it's great to see you.
0: It is, and we've got so much to talk about because you have a new book that came out, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let's just start off with the state of what's going on. You're in Nevada. There's a lot that you're navigating. I saw that last week was the first time that you had an in-person service at your church since the pandemic broke out. Talk about how you're navigating that and what you're seeing there.
1: Yeah, obviously these are uh, very unique times that we're all living through in the United States, but not just the United States. This is a global pandemic. It's something that's affecting the world. Um, we actually in Las Vegas, uh, it was uh, like everybody else around the second week of March when we kind of really got in the loop as to what was going on with the pandemic. And we actually closed our services publicly, even before our governor, uh, mandated that in our state, we just, felt like it was the right thing to do um, based on the circumstances that we understood them to be. And so we canceled our services the second week of March and have not had live in-person services since. We've been online like everybody else. uh, myself and a small group of pastors have been working directly with our governor's office, trying to negotiate a reopening of the church in a way that uh, could be a blessing and benefit to the community. We believe churches are essential. Um, and the ministry of churches is not something that's optional. People need the Lord. They need the gospel. They need community. So we've been working on it. We hadn't gotten where everywhere we wanted to be yet in, in that relationship, but we did go ahead and start. We now are at least doing a Thursday night live service where we do our recordings. So we follow all the CDC guidelines even down to the ability to contact trace. We know who sits where in the worship center so that we can even do contact tracing out of our service. Everybody wears a mask. We temperature check everybody. Um, So we're doing our service live on Thursday nights uh, in front of an audience. And then we would play it online on Sundays, recorded um, and kind of have live hosts doing it that way like everybody else. But yeah, very unusual times that we're living in. But God you know, is at work in the midst of all things. And we're seeing God do things in this season that are unique, just like everybody, else. So, and it's a great opportunity now for the church to engage the city like never before. Mm -hmm. Um, These are opportunities that God's given us as a church to really be the church. And when you study the church historically in times of pandemic, man, God has greatly expanded the footprint of his church. And so these are an opportunity for the church to really accomplish the mission that he's given us.
0: Well, in, especially in Las Vegas, that's been hit so hard because it's one of the highest unemployment rates in the country just walking through this. I mean, the Las Vegas Strip was completely shut down for yeah. me. How has that been an opportunity for your church to be able to serve what's going on in a population of 2 million?
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. This has been a very difficult time for the economy in Las Vegas. I don't know if you saw it in the news, but actually yesterday Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas filed for bankruptcy. I see that. Um, yeah, six, they have six. We're the, we We have. I think there's only like a few stationary shows in the world. Most of the Cirque du Soleil's are traveling shows shows. We have six stationary Cirque du Soleil in Las Vegas. We have many cast members of Cirque du Soleil in our church, some that have come to know Christ, some that have reached other people from the peoples of the world that work in Cirque du Soleil that have come to Christ. Um, But Cirque du Soleil shut down, or they've been shut down and they just filed bankruptcy. Uh, Las Vegas as a city, our unemployment now, or as the state of Nevada is, I think at 33%. So it's leading the nation in unemployment. Um, But as a church, we saw that as an opportunity to serve the city. I I have a kingdom conviction that when the kingdom of God expands in a city, it means more than more people go to church. It Mm -hmm. means that the city should become a better place to live. And so we wanted to serve the city. And so we partnered with some other churches. There's a small group of churches. And together, we've served 3.8 million pounds of food uh, to those in need. Together, we've collectively uh, provided over 5,000 meals to essential workers and hospitals and grocery stores where we go serve their employees. Um, we've been able to uh, pr- uh, test well over 5,000 people through drive-through testing sites that we've set up in partnership with the state. Uh, we've led over 20 supply drives for hospitals and healthcare workers and first responders. Um, we've done multiple blood drives. Uh, we, we actually have a unique niche where we're providing meals and services to foster care families. Over mm-hmm. 500 foster care families have been served through meals uh, and supplies. So we have just looked for any and every way possible as a church and partnership with other churches through Kingdom Collaboration to let this be an opportunity where we show the city, the love of Jesus, and the power of the gospel, um, and what kingdom community looks like. Well,
0: Hope Church is a very unique church because you have about over 4,000 people who attend when you're regularly meeting in, in right. church, but you have 54 languages represented at Hope Church. Yeah. So, <laughs> a church with that much diversity and a multicultural perspective,
1: Yeah. It, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a white guy from small town (laughs) Alabama who 20 years ago, God called to the city of Las Vegas, which shows you, God has a sense of humor. I mean, I grew up in Alabama where people didn't go to Las Vegas and if they did, they sure didn't tell anybody. (laughs) Um, Where I'm from, people don't think Las Vegas is hell, but they think you can smell it from here. They think (laughs) we're real close. So when God called me to Las Vegas, this was the furthest thing off of my, my radar, but God brought us here and then God did something unusual. He birthed a church that looks like the city, which really should be what all churches should be because the gospel is no respecter of persons. The church should reflect the city. So we planted the gospel in the city and our church began to look like the city. Well, Las Vegas is a very diverse city. Uh, One article released a few years ago said Las Vegas is America of the future as far as diversity. UNLV was recognized a couple of years ago as the most diverse university campus in America. I don't know that it still is, but at that time, two, three years ago, it was. So our church reflects our community. And ours, our church has 54 languages. We don't have a majority of anything. Um, I say all the time that our church looks like a bag of Skittles got dumped out on a Sunday morning. Um, It's black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Polynesian, and everything in between. But the challenge of that is uh, one person said it this way. He said, uh, pastoring a multicultural church means it's also multi-political and multi-theological, which means it's multi-difficult. And that's very true. Um, we have to be a people of the book, a people of the gospel. And our primary identity is who we are in Christ. It's not who I am in my culture. It's not who I am in my nation. My primary identity is who I am in Christ. And that's what unites us as brothers and sisters in the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about a color blindness or a culture deafness. God created culture. God created color. God loves the diversity but it's diversity that's united in our identity in Christ. And as we get to share and express that diversity together, that we get to see the full uh, picture of the Imago Dei, the, the image of God represented in humanity. Um, so it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that I'm up for. And I love it because of the beauty and uh, uh, the simplicity of the gospel seen in, in the reflection of a church that represents the kingdom. I mean, we see this is where the church is headed. In Revelation chapter 5, the kingdom is every tribe, tongue, people, and nation gathered around the throne. And if that's where we're headed, why not today, let's go ahead and be a reflection of, of the ultimate end of the gospel, which is all peoples redeemed together through the blood of Christ into one kingdom, one nation, one family. And I think one of the reasons we're seeing some of the issues we're seeing in society today is because for too long, the church has sat on the sidelines and we've organized our churches around our cultural preferences Mm -hmm. rather than the centrality of the gospel. And that's why in the average community in America, the average local school is 20 times more integrated than the average local church. Something Mm -hmm. is wrong when legislation through the government has produced more integration than the reconciling power of the gospel in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think the church needs to sit up and take notice and there needs to be an awakening to a multicultural expression of the gospel in the church.
0: Well, let's speak to that a little bit more because we had a number of people submit questions to ask you tonight. And for those of you just joining us, we're talking with Pastor Vance Pittman. He is the senior pastor of Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Very diverse, multicultural, fascinating church that I personally got to be a part of for a time when I lived in Vegas. But we had a question from Kelly and she says, with so much division along racial and ethnic groups being highlighted in the past few weeks, What does biblical unity and reconciliation look like but practically how do I live this out as a faithful Christian in my community?
1: Great question. And Kelly, thanks for asking. I think it goes back to what I was just saying that um, the church should reflect its community. The problem with the American church, especially in the world, I live in the world of church planting a lot. One of the problems in the world of church planting is what we're really doing is starting church services rather than starting churches. When you start a church service, you start with a weekend event and it has a style. It has a, a preference about music and dress and time. When you start with a city, instead of starting with a service, then you're starting with people versus a program. When you start with a church service, you start with a program, the songs, the the style, the preference. When you start with a city and you think as a missionary, you go into a city and you start with a gospel, The gospel is no respecter of persons. And so as the gospel engages a city, guess what's going to happen? The church is going to become a reflection of the community because the gospel doesn't respect persons. It's going to draw all men and women to faith in Christ. And and so we need to see churches that are a reflection of the community. And here's the first question I, I would ask about any church in society today. If your church Now, not every church is going to have 54 languages because not every community is that diverse. Mm -hmm. But if your church is not at minimum a reflection of your community, you need to ask a hard gospel question about missiologically, how are we taking the gospel to the city? Mm -hmm. Because if we're taking the gospel to the city, the church should look like the city. That's what the New Testament church looked like. Um, most churches in America are white churches, black churches, Hispanic churches. There's a rise in multicultural church, but unfortunately we talk about the multicultural church like it's a new thing. But biblically, it's not a new thing. It's a new Testament thing. When the first church was launched in Jerusalem, there were 15 language groups in the first church on the first day. That's why they needed the gift of tongues because they needed to speak the gospel in all these different languages. By the time you get to Acts chapter 11, the first church in the uh, among the Gentile peoples, that church had five elders. They were from North Africa, the Middle East, Asia Minor, and the Mediterranean. So the first Gentile church had a reflection of the community and the culture. The first problem in the church was not a Bible theological problem. It was a cultural problem. In Acts 6, there were Hellenistic Jews upset because they felt like the Jewish Jews, their widows were getting preference over them. It was a prejudice issue in the church. So the early church was born with an expression of multicultural community. And that's what the church should be in every community. Now, how we practically do that, let me just be real honest. It's messy. It's messy. There's no other way to slice it because we all have perspectives. We all have experience. We all have a worldview. And when you bring multiple cultures together, there's a collision of culture. So here's what I tell our church. If you join Hope Church because it's multicultural, here's what that means. We're all going to be uncomfortable in moments because there's a collision of culture taking place. But here's the other side of that. It's messy but it's beautiful. It's because here's what it is. It's family. If you go home with me tonight and you look at my family, sometimes it's messy. There's collision. We have, we all have the same basic DNA, but everybody's wired a little bit differently, but I'm not giving up on family just because it's messy. It's going to be messy, but with intentionality, with love, with modeling submission to one another, which means in every way I relate to you, I consider you more important than me. As we live that out, we get to see this beautiful expression of community.
0: Mm, I love that. Well, let's get into your book because you wrote a book that was released in January. It's called Unburdened. I have it. I have a lot of notes in it because it's so, so good. But tell us a little bit about the title because It's called Stop Living for Jesus so Jesus can live through you. Talk about that premise a little bit so people can understand what you mean.
1: Yeah, Uh, I I grew up in the Bible Belt. I grew up in Alabama um, and I grew up in a culture of Christianity that taught the truth of the gospel. You can't save yourself. Uh, There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. The only way to experience salvation is by grace through faith. You must accept that Jesus is God, that He died on a cross, that He rose again from the dead, and He did that to atone for your sin. And I was taught that's the only way to be saved. But I grew up in a church culture that then began to teach me, once you become a Christian, now it's up to you to live the Christian life. All the weight was put on me. So for the first decade of my Christian journey, I tried hard to be a good Christian. The operative word was commitment. Every service I went to, every gathering that was held, there was another level of commitment that you were supposed to make. And commitment implies I have something to bring to the table. Um, Henry Blackaby said it uh, this way. He said um, that uh, many of us uh, assume that we were saved for a task to perform rather than for a relationship to enjoy. And that's where I lived. I was so frustrated trying to live the Christian life and yet was always failing. So much so that there were some words in in the Bible that didn't even make sense to me. For example, when Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You hear those three words? Rest, easy, and light. To be totally transparent, you couldn't have picked three words that were further removed from my experience of Christianity than rest, easy, and light. If you'd let me pick three words, I would have said it's hard, it's work, and it's heavy. It's not rest, easy, and light. Until I got to a breaking point in my Christian journey where I realized Jesus didn't save me so that I could live for Him. He saved me so that He could live through me. And living for Jesus is not me living for Him. It's me dying to self that Christ may live His life in and through me. I was taught my whole life the gospel that Jesus died for my sins. And that is so true, but that is only half of the gospel. Jesus also rose again from the dead. His death is my death, and now His life is my life. So, stop living for Jesus is stop trying to practice religion, stop trying to be that Christian and let Christ in you live his life through you. And then that's rest. That's light. That's freedom.
0: I think one of the most impactful messages I've ever heard was preached by you. And I don't say that just because I'm talking to you right now, but it was really a life changing perspective because you were talking about abide. And it was all based on the verse out of John 15. And you talk about that in your book. Explain the concept of abiding in relation to the vine and how freeing that is.
1: Yeah. The, Jesus, um, multiple times in John chapter 14 and verse 15, and then multiple, I mean, John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, going all the way to the end of that chapter, multiple times, Jesus says the same thing. And here's what he says. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. He says it five different ways, but five times he makes that statement. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, for most of my Christian life, here's the way I heard that. If you love me, you better do what I say, which meant I got to show him that I love him by obeying him. But that's not what he said. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Mm -hmm. Emphasis on the love relationship Mm -hmm. and obedience Not being the focus of my life, obedience being the fruit of my life as I pursue a love relationship with him. So after saying it five times, Jesus walks his disciples out into a garden in John 15. And in John 15, Jesus gives an illustration and he picks up a branch of a vine and he looks at the disciples and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Now, For a lot of my Christian life and for many Christians, you ask them the question, what's the goal of the Christian life? And they would say to bear fruit, but there's not one command in John 15 to bear fruit. We've never been commanded to bear fruit. As a matter of fact, as a branch, I can't bear fruit. Fruit is simply the life of whatever is in the vine being pressed out through the branches. That's what fruit is. So if you got a grapevine, What's coming out? Grapes. You got an apple tree. What's coming out of the branch? Apples. Why? Because fruit is the life of whatever's in the vine being pressed out through the branches. So Jesus said, he's the vine. We're the branches. So what's fruit? It's the life of Christ in me being pressed out through me out of the overflow of what he's commanded in John 15. The only command in John 15 is to abide. To abide is to intimately pursue Christ. To abide is to live in intimate fellowship with Jesus. It it describes a moment by moment dependence on Jesus, where I'm living in fellowship with him, which means the only value I have, is abiding in Christ. I illustrate it this way. I say, have you ever been out in a field and seen a branch working hard to bear fruit? No, branches don't work hard. What do they do? They just hang on to the vine for all their work. And for you and I as Christians, our ability to bear fruit is rests solely on our abiding in Christ intimately, personally, and daily. Carving out time to be alone with Him and then building our, living our lives moment by moment out of the overflow of fellowship with
0: him. So good. And I I think that's so freeing for some people to be able to hear that. And that's always stuck with me. So thank you for sharing that. And for those of you just joining us, we're talking with Pastor Vance Pittman. He has a book out and I highly recommend it because it's so good. It's called Unburdened and you can pick it up, Amazon, wherever they sell books. So I would highly recommend that. And I know Pastor Vance, we don't have a ton of time. So I want to get into some of the other questions that we have. and one of the things obviously we're in an election year and it's a very difficult thing to navigate as christians we had a lot of questions coming in at this but you had said a quote that i love and it's really um something we talk about a lot at my faith votes because we want to pray we want to think and we want to vote but you say the primary thing that we should do in an election cycle is to seek the face of god in prayer I think that's a little countercultural to Christians when we approach voting. Explain that a little bit more when you talked about that quote.
1: Yeah, the the, the primary thing we can do is seek the face of God, because at the end of the day, um, political elections are going to come and they're going to go. No one political party owns holistically the gospel. Um, You can look at aspects of every political party, and depending on how you want to look at it. Some would say, oh, well, this political party has more than this one. But at the end of the day, all political party platforms fall short of a holistic gospel centered platform. So for the Christian, we're having to bring our biblical worldview, our personal convictions, and make an informed decision because part of Being a kingdom citizen is exercising our civic responsibility Mm -hmm. um, in voting. So we're, we're not, there's nowhere in the Bible that says thou shalt vote. That verse is not in scripture. But the scripture does say that we're to live in subjection to our governing authorities um and that we are to to do that in a way of of obeying the will of God verse uh, in Romans chapter 13 verse 15 it says it's the will of God for us to live in subjection to governing authorities and part of the governing authority in our country is the constitution and the constitution says we have a right to vote and beyond a, a, a right to vote we have an obligation to vote so as Christians we should vote um but in voting there is no Christian vote because of the complexity of the issues so we have to consider things like character we have to consider things like convictions we need to seek counsel and then we need to pray and hear from god and here's what i mean by that let's take it out of the realm of of voting for a second and let's talk about biblical generosity i believe all christians believe as christians one thing we're to do is we're to give now I think every Christian would say the Bible teaches Christians are to be generous, we're to give. But that's probably the end of where we agree. Because when you start talking about how much you should give, how often you should give, where you should give, Christians are very diverse on their answer to that question. Mm -hmm. But as Christians, we don't divide over that. We've chosen to say, you know what? We can agree. We all are supposed to give and let each of us personally develop our convictions and prayer before God and then demonstrate that conviction of generosity led by the Holy Spirit. I think the same thing is true when it comes to voting. All Christians should agree. We have a biblical responsibility to exercise our right to vote as kingdom citizens, demonstrating our civic responsibility. But because the Bible doesn't say, here's how you vote, we need to give grace to brothers and sisters in Christ to vote differently in different elections and know that that does not define who we are as Christians, um, nor does it define our identity as Christians. Our primary identity is not Republican or Democrat. Our primary identity is who we are in Christ. And that should be how we relate to each other. So seeking the face of God in prayer, I think is paramount in these seasons and then demonstrating grace towards our brothers and sisters in Christ with different perspectives.
0: Mm That's a great perspective. And we at My Faith Votes have really wanting to come alongside churches and how to biblically, faithfully be responsible in engaging in civics and not negating that, but stepping boldly as Christians. So we've actually created something called our church votes. And we've created a nonpartisan resources for church to be able to find everything you need to register your congregation, be politically engaged, know what's going on, how to think from a biblical worldview. We even have a pastor series that people can find sermon series from pastors, including you, Pastor Vance, that speak to how pastors can speak to their congregations on the responsibility of voting. Maybe talk a, a second about what that sermon series was like um, and just developing it for your church.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I'm honored to be included on that, that site. I really appreciate you guys making it available. Uh, back in 2016, when the election cycle was 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 coming, Obviously, I said earlier that I'm pastoring a multicultural church, which means I have as many MSNBC watchers as I have Fox News watchers in my fellowship. We're all across the board. Um, and I know even for some Christians, even hearing that, you're thinking, why <gasps> there are Christians that watch that. And, and even saying that some of you, they're, they're, it's on both sides of that issue. Right. Um, so I knew I needed to give our people a biblical worldview. So we I preached a, a six or seven week series called State of the Union when culture and the gospel intersect. And I dealt with several issues. Uh, I dealt with our identity, who we are. I answered the question, how should we vote in elections? Uh, I answered the question about immigration and and what is a biblical worldview of immigration. I talked about race and racial reconciliation. I taught a sermon on uh, being living in subjection to governing authorities and what that looked like. I, I taught about what, what, a biblical community looks like in the context of diversity politically. Um, so there's about six or seven sermons that deal with some really hot issues, I think, mm-hmm. that are going to be hot again in this election cycle from a biblical worldview standpoint to help our people navigate these conversations. And then what I encourage our people to do is after hearing the sermons, go to lunch or dinner with somebody from another culture, and have a dialogue around scripture, demonstrating grace and love towards each other.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and that's what we need. And so if you're looking for that, you can go to ourchurchvotes.org. All the resources there are there. We put the entire toolkit together. It's free and it's just a great way to bring your congregation into this conversation, like you said, and that's so critical is just the face-to-face conversation as we wrestle through these, but seeing that it's our responsibility as Christians. so. Pastor Vance, we just have a couple minutes left and gosh, we could talk to you forever because you've got such great practical advice and wisdom how just to navigate this from a pastoral perspective. So we really appreciate that. But Pastor Vance is going to end our time in prayer. But before we do that, we've got one more question. And I think this speaks to just kind of a lot of the questions that came in, it's from Monica. It says, what's the single most impactful thing I can do as a Christian in my community during these dire and divisive times we live in right now?
1: That's a great question. And I would say this, Monica, and to others who are listening. First, and I don't i don't say this tritely. And if we're not careful, we're going to let the world so influence us that we discount the reality of prayer. But the first thing we need to do is we need to pray. If I've learned nothing in 20 years in Las Vegas, here's here's what I've learned. When we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. And when we don't, we don't. And so we, as a people need to pray, we need to go to our God in desperation and cry out to him. So first and foremost, we need to be people who pray. You dig deep. Anytime you study in history, you see a great movement of God locally, on a state level, nationally and country, anywhere you find a great movement of God, you dig deep enough. Let me tell you what you're always going to find a remnant of God's people who were praying. Mm -hmm. So if we want to see God move first and foremost, we got to pray. Number two, we need to live authentically kingdom-centered lives. Not bible Belt Christian. I'm talking about kingdom-centered lives. If we're not careful as Christians, we can get so caught up in a God and country mentality that we can almost create a, a, a version of syncretism where we're marrying together our faith with an American ideology. We are citizens of another kingdom. And it is a kingdom that is yet to come. I love America. My grandfather fought in World War II and Korea. He was in the first wave of the Anzio beachhead. I'm patriotic. I tear up when the national anthem is sung, but I am not an American, ultimately. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm a citizen of a a kingdom that is yet to come. In this world, I'm simply a stranger and an alien that is passing through. This is not my home. And we need to live lives that are a reflection of authentic kingdom values spend some time reading the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about what kingdom living looks like. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 articulates authentic kingdom living. Um, and to give you just a little example of what I mean by that, I know we're running out of time, but, but when we talk about the, 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 the marriage issue in America, Christians love to jump up and down and talk about the sanctity of marriage. And when they talk about that, they talk about that from the perspective of the the homosexual agenda. But we don't talk about it at all as it pertains to divorce Mm. and the brokenness of the home in America. When you read Matthew five, six, and seven, there's a kingdom centered life that, that has a holistic view. And that's what we have to do is live authentically kingdom centered lives. And then thirdly, keep the main thing, the main thing. Mm -hmm. Our mission is not to reform America. Our mission is to make disciples of the peoples of the earth. And we have to stay centered there. The enemy would love to get us so focused on changing America that we forget we've been called to change the world. Mm -hmm. And the ultimate mission is to make disciples of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, demonstrating kingdom uh, citizenship with civic responsibility. But that's not our primary calling. Jesus lived during one of the most wicked dictatorships the world has ever known. The Roman empire, the the Nero's and the, the Caesars of Rome required the citizens to call them gods. And yet Jesus didn't give his life to the reformation of the Roman empire. He gave his life for the peoples of the earth that all men may come to know him. So pray, live authentic kingdom centered lives, and keep the main thing the main thing. We're about making
0: disciples. Amen, amen. Well, let's close our time in prayer and then I'll give um, just a final shout out at the end.
1: Awesome. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to connect with brothers and sisters uh, across the country and around the world. Thank you for Megan and her family and the ministry and how you're using them. Lord, it's an honor to connect with them again and to see them even virtually like this. God, I thank you for them. God, I pray tonight that anything that's been shared, Lord, I pray that it's profitable. I pray that it's pleasing to you. And Lord, if anything's come out of my mouth that is not in line with your word and is not profitable and pleasing, God, I pray you just wouldn't even give people ears to hear it. But Lord, anything that's of your word, that's of value, God, I pray that you would allow it to bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And God, I do pray for our nation. God, we need an awakening. We need a spiritual awakening. And when I pray that, I sincerely don't mean a political revolution. We need a spiritual awakening. What we want to see in our country are disciples making disciples because when the kingdom expands, cities and nations become better places to live. So, God, we ask you to do it for your namesake and for your glory. Lord, we pray for all of our leaders right now, locally, on state levels, national levels. God, may they be people of wisdom. May they be people that seek righteousness and justice and truth. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Mm -hmm. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. The book is called Unburdened. It's so good. Pick it up. And then if you have questions, you can visit ourchurchvotes.org to get all those resources, download Pastor Vance's sermon series on there as well. And then we just want you to know that we're praying for you. I think it's just a, a... tremendous call for all of us to be praying for our pastors, wherever we are, our church leadership, as we navigate just these very difficult times. Um, And just we thank you for your leadership and what you're doing at Hope Church. We're praying for Hope Church as well. So thank you so much for joining us tonight, Pastor Vance. Great to see you.
1: Thank thank you. you. Great to see you.
0: All right. God bless. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Pastor Vance Pittman of Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information on resources for your church, visit OurChurchVotes.org. If you're interested in Vance's book, it's called Unburdened. Stop living for Jesus so Jesus can live through you.